I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and follow along this morning. And uh, I'm wondering if we can pray one more time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm asking this morning that you'd help me to share this message and, as always, make it applicable to where the rubber meets the road in our lives. This um, second Sunday in April of 2013. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I always like to start off with a funny story, but did you happen to hear the story about the young wife? There was a young wife who on Valentine's Day decided to take a nap. She decided to take a nap in the afternoon on Valentine's Day, and she had this wonderful dream. And as soon as she woke up, she called out to her husband. She said, honey, come here. Come here. I want to tell you about my dream. I dreamed that you, that I got a big, huge diamond ring for Valentine's Day. What do you think that dream means? He said, you'll have to find out tonight. You'll just have to wait and find out tonight. That evening, he brought home a small box, a small box that was beautifully wrapped. It was beautifully wrapped. She was so excited. She opened it up, and it was a book entitled, The Meaning of Dreams. I know that's corny. The meaning of dreams. We're going to be in a three-part series on marriage, and we're going to be looking at God's original design for marriage, God's blueprint for marriage, and it's found in Genesis chapter 2, the particular passage that we got for reading. Somebody said the problem with most marriages is this. Marriages often start off with an ideal. They start, it starts off with an ideal and then they go through an ordeal, and then they end up looking up for a, for a new deal. And that often is the case. I realize that we have all kinds of needs represented here this morning. We have people that have been married 50 plus years. If you've been married 50 plus years, raise your hand. 50 plus years. Isn't that great? <clears throat> we have individuals that have been married 50 plus years, and we have so-called newlyweds. We have people that are fairly new to marriage. And we have everybody in between. Did you know that I read uh, a couple years back about a couple that got married for the very first time and they were both in their 90s? They had never been married and they were both in, in their 90s. And after the ceremony, after the ceremony, instead of throwing rice or birdseed, they were throwing Geritol tablets. <laughs> Lynn's shaking his head. I can't believe it. <laughs> Some of you some of you have never been married, and you'd like to get married, and it will happen perhaps in the near future. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are divorced. Some of you may even be separated at this particular time. Some of you have, again, never been married. Um, some of you, again, would love to get married. Uh, some of you have a good marriage, but your relationship is under a lot of stress at this particular time in your life. There are many different needs, and I can say confidently, without any doubt, that God has a specific word for you wherever you're at on this whole spectrum that we've talked about. I, I have three goals in this particular marriage. First of all, I want to comfort. I, I want to comfort. This is going to encourage you if, if your marriage is hurting. If your marriage is hurting, I want to comfort you. And number two, I want to convince you. I, I want to convince you that it's possible not only to have a good marriage, but to have a, a great marriage. And number three, I want to challenge you. I, I want to challenge you to perhaps to change some things, to change some things in your relationship with your spouse. 
And today we're going to have time for a brief introduction. We're going to have a time for a brief overview. And again, we're going to look at God's original design for marriage. And that's why we're going back to chapter 2 of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And we're going to make some brief comments this morning. We're going to get the foundation out there, and then we're going to add to it the next couple of weeks. As you know, though, Adam was put into the Garden of Eden. He was put into this perfect environment. He was the first nature boy, you might want to say, romping through God's creation. He had no problems. He had, uh, there were no mosquitoes. Everything was bright and everything was great. Uh, a perfect ecosystem, food, clothing, shelter, all those necessities were, were uh, provided for him. He had no pains whatsoever in his life. And, and he was just enjoying himself out in nature, so to speak. And yet the Bible says, God looked at Adam, Adam, looked at Adam and he said, it is not good. This is the first time in Scripture where God uses that phrase, it is not good. It's not good for what? Well, we read in this particular passage of Scripture, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Man's oldest problem is loneliness. Man's oldest problem is loneliness. What is God saying? That it is a sin to be single? Absolutely not. The opposite is true. It's not a sin to be single. What, what he's saying is, is that God never meant for anybody to be lonely. Did you know that there are married people that are often lonely? Marriage doesn't necessarily solve that problem of loneliness. But one of the purposes of marriage is partnership. And it does prevent loneliness most of the time. And, and so God made Adam a wife. First, he let Adam name all the animals, and it kind of looks like Eve was kind of like an afterthought, but, but she wasn't an afterthought. What Adam was doing was he was realizing that there was two of every type of, of creation except for himself. He was realizing something is missing in my life. Now, in verse 21, this is what we read. Look at it with me. Verse 21, one more time. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with the flesh. Verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. He brought her to the man. Now, verse 23 is one of the classic reactions that we get from Scripture. Notice, after God created Eve, out of the man's rib, notice what the man said. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. Now, can you imagine that? Here is the first female. She has no mars. She has no scars. She is perfectly formed, perfectly shaped. She is absolutely a beautiful female, and all of a sudden she appears before Adam for the very first time. Now, I want to let you know that the original translators were chicken. The original translators were cowards. Translated, it doesn't read necessarily bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. All of a sudden, coming through the ferns, is this most gorgeous specimen of femininity. And he created again 
this lady with no mars, no defects, and Adam is saying, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I don't think so. I don't think so. Harley, they did not want to put what Adam really said when he saw Eve for the very first time standing there. The exact Hebrew description according to Pastor Ron. Hey, far out! Eureka! I've discovered the woman of my dreams. Wrap her up. Let's take her home. Wow! You're the only girl in the world for me. And literally, she was. You're the only girl in the whole world for me. And did you know that every single marriage begins that way? Most marriages. It begins with the wow. And all of a sudden, over a period of time, it turns into an ow. Why the turnabout? What's happened? What's happened? One of the key verses in the Bible is verse 24 in regards to this in marriage. The fact is, did you know that verse 24, we're talking about God's foundation for marriage, God's design for marriage. Verse 24 is mentioned five times throughout the Bible, five times throughout the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself quotes this particular passage of Scripture as recorded in the New Testament. It's foundational. It's important. When you look at this particular verse, you think, well, it's no big deal. It's common sense. It just makes sense, you know, whatever it may be. But did you know that unless you have this verse down and exactly doing what it says, that you're asking for all kinds of problems, this is the cornerstone. This is the foundation for every healthy marriage. And this verse says there are some things that you have to hold on to and there are some things that you have to let go of. There are some things that you have to give up and there are some things that you have to grab onto. And this problem that we're going to be addressing, things that you have to let go, has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years and even more prevalent today than ever. And why do you say that, Pastor Ron? Did you know that the baby boomer generation, when we had children, we have been labeled as helicopter parents. Helicopter parents. That means that there has never been a generation of children that we have raised that have been pampered, spoiled, patted on the back, and rescued, and enabled, and helped more than this generation. I'm speaking the truth here. It's true. Now notice how this applies to young adults today that are married and that have families. Notice what these young adults all the way through history, especially today, are supposed to do and let go of. First of all, notice, he says there are a number of things that were to let go. First of all, you must give up your parents. You must give up your parents. You must let go of your mother and father. And that's obvious. First part of verse 24. Notice, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. There is leaving to be done. And he not only speaks to the man, he not only speaks to the husband, but he's also speaking to the wife and the female. Now, we're talking about letting go of our parents. 
And he's talking more than just about geography. Did you hear what I said? He's talking more than just about geography, moving out of the house. He's talking about leaving our mother and father, psychologically speaking. There is a break up, so to speak. Leaving literally means to break your dependence. Now, it doesn't mean, I'm going to say this now, and I'm going to say this later. It does not mean that you can't be close to your mother and father. It does not mean that you can't ask for advice for your mother and father, but the word is dependent. You're supposed to be dependent upon your husband and upon your wife. Dependent upon one of them. And so the umbilical cord is supposed to be cut, so to speak, between the mother and the father and the child once they are married. And we're supposed to be dependent upon our husband and upon our wife. And our wife is supposed to be dependent upon the, the husband, etc., etc. Now, the, again, this has not got to do with geography. You can live next door to your mother and father and be emotionally independent of them, or you can live 3,000 miles away and be emotionally dependent upon them. It has not got to do with geography. And I see this problem over and over again with people who are having marital problems. I re, I've, I've heard about spouses. I've heard about spouses who will not make a decision, and they are now in their 40s and 50s without first calling up mommy and daddy. I've heard of that. Even though they're older. Or every single time, listen to this, every single time, a day off, a major holiday, Christmas, Easter, Memorial Day, um, what's the other holiday? Labor Day, Fourth of July, every single time they get a chance, they go to mother and dad's house and they're never making memories for themselves. It's important as a family unit to make memories for yourself. And to do that. Now what is God saying? He's saying that your partner should not have to compete with your parents. Did you hear what I said? He's saying that your partners should not have to compete with your parents. It's unrealistic. And it puts all kinds of pressure. And it puts all kinds of uh, on the marriage. And it makes wives feel insecure. And it makes husbands feel inadequate. Did you hear what I said? It makes husbands feel inadequate. And it puts all kinds of pressure on the wives. And they feel insecure. Adam and Eve had an ideal marriage because they didn't have relatives to interfere. And that's obvious. Now, when your obligations to your extended family take priority over your own marriage, you're in trouble. So the very first thing that we read in this passage of Scripture is, is that we're to let go of our parents. And parents, you're to let go of your children. Again, it doesn't mean that you can't be close to your children. It doesn't mean that you can't help them. It doesn't mean that you can't give them advice. And it doesn't mean that, parent, that children can't ask for, for advice. But the word is dependent. We're not supposed to be dependent upon our mother and father. We're to be independent. And so we're to leave our mother and father psychologically, so to speak, and even financially, if at all possible. We have a family unit and we're trying to establish that family unit. Now, how many of you remember the American folk song, Billy Boy? Anybody here remember that American folk song, Billy Boy? It's been around for years. It comes around, it goes, it goes for a while, it comes around, it comes around, whatever it may be. Now, why didn't Billy Boy marry his girlfriend? Why didn't Billy Boy marry his girlfriend? When, she, when, when you sing, she's a young thing, 
she's a young thing, and she cannot leave her mother, you get the impression that Billy Boy's girlfriend was 15, 16 years of age, right? Wrong. I want you to listen to that old American folk song and listen to that stanza. How old is she, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? How old is she, Charming Billy? Three times six and four times seven, 28 and 11. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Can you believe it? Billy Boy's girlfriend was 85 years old. 85 years old. And yet I wonder how many adult children, how many adult children could that apply to? You've got to break the umbilical cord if you have not done so. Again, there's nothing wrong with being close to your folks, but you have to be dependent upon one another. Uh, number two, let's go on here. You have also have to let go of people in your past. You have to let go of people in your past. Let go of other people, other relationships, other friends, other brothers, other sisters, other people that you've held on to. Maybe a former boyfriend or girl, girlfriend. You say, that is so, um, that's so common sense. No, it isn't. It isn't. You'd be surprised how many people are still in close contact with a former boyfriend or girlfriend. Contrary to Willie Nelson's old songs, you've got to forget all the girls that you loved before. You've got to forget all the girls that you loved before. Forget them. They're all gone. It's out of the way. They're in the past. You want to focus on your present relationship. And sometimes we say, if only I hadn't broke that relationship off. But we have selective memory. We have selective memory. We only remember the good things after a few years. We don't remember the bad. And so the Bible indicates that marriage is an exclusive relationship. It takes priority over every other relationship except God. And yet you don't know how many people I know who also say, uh, uh, especially ladies come to me and say, you know, my husband, he won't let go of his old friends. He wants to spend more time with his friends than he wants to spend with me. That marriage relationship is to take priority over mother, father, brother, sister, former girlfriend, former boyfriend, and best friend. Priority over every relationship except our relationship to God. Every other relationship must be second place. It's like the lady who went through four marriages. Did you hear about this lady? There was a lady that went through four marriages. She married a millionaire, she married a movie director, she married a butler, and she married an undertaker. And they asked her, why in the world would you marry four different men like that? She said, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> she said, I'm married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. I know that's corny, I know that's corny. <clears throat> but there are some things that you let, you've got to let go of. You just got to let go of parents and you've got to let go of people in your past. And number three, you have to let go of places. You have to let go of places. And I've heard this complaint over and over again. My husband, my wife, they live in the past. They live in the past. As she or he talk about, uh, all they talk about is, is what high school, what college, what hometown was like. And, you know, we have a tendency to idolize our home, hometowns. We do. Our idolize the high school that we went to. Our idolize the college that we went to. Face the facts. The good old days are over. The good old days are over. And they weren't that good in the first place, probably. 
because we have selective memory. And when you tend to hold on to the places in your past, and if your spouse wasn't necessarily part of your past, your hometown, etc., they feel left out. It's like you're saying, this is part of my life. You'll never be able to experience it. And number four, we're almost finished with letting go. We have to let go of our problems. We have to let go of our problems. And this is true, guys. I'm just telling you the way it is. You don't know how many people I know. Here is the groom, and there's a bridemaid, and they're walking down the aisle, and you don't know what kind of baggage the bride and the groom bring into the relationship because they haven't dealt with the problems from their past. Specifically, this is what the Bible indicates. You need to let go of grudges. You need to let go of grudges. That's a past problem. And there are few things to destroy a marriage quicker than resentment. I'll never forgive that person. And if you can't forgive people from your past, it affects your present relationship. And that's why bitterness, when it consumes a person, it eats them up and it colors everything else in their life. You need to let go of grudges. And number two, you need to let go of grief. You need to let go of grief. That's another problem in the past. Everybody experiences sorrow and everybody experiences loss. It's normal and it's natural to sorrow. What is unnatural is where the mourning turns to moaning. Where the moaning, mourning turns to moaning. And I see this happen all the time. Do you remember that old movie? It's an old movie. Do you remember that old movie entitled Ordinary People? There's a movie out years ago called Ordinary People, and the actor Donald Sutherland played the husband, and Mary Tyler Moore played the wife. And they had something that was totally unexpected. They had two children, and the oldest boy died all of a sudden. And Mary Tyler Moore's character began to mourn. And again, there's nothing wrong with mourning. But she mourned, and she mourned, and months went by, a year went by, and it was affecting her relationship with her husband, and it was affecting her relationship with her other son, and she could not give up her mourning. You have to eventually accept what, not, what cannot be changed. And you have to deal with your grief and go on. And number three, you have to give up your guilt. You have to give up your guilt. And you'd be surprised how many people have skeletons in their closet and guilt destroys marriages, it ruins marriages, it ruins intimacy. And that's why we need to have regular confession and ask God to forgive us. And that's why we need to confess our sins to God. And that's why we need regular grace and to ask our spouse to forgive us on a regular basis. We need genuine grace and we need genuine forgiveness on a regular basis. And this is what the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I told this story at least one other time before, but do you remember Charles Dickens? And you remember the story that he wrote about Scrooge? Remember that shriveled up old man? And according to Charles Dickens, the reason why Scrooge in his story became half the man that he should have become is because he was jilted by a young sweetheart, a fiancé. She jilted him for somebody else and he could not, and he would not forgive, and that bitterness consumed his life. 
man, you need regular doses and I need regular doses of God's grace and I need regular doses of, 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 of asking God to forgive me and asking my mate to forgive me. How many, of you, uh, how many of you never blow it in your marriage? How many of you never say the wrong thing? How many of you never do the wrong thing? I'm waiting for somebody to raise their hand. <laughs> somebody did back here, over here. <laughs> Dwayne. Dwayne would raise his hand. <laughs> Whoever raised their hand, they're liars. <laughs> I can't believe it. I was going pretty good for a long time there, and I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. I, I, you know how you blow it. You say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and I blew it bad. And I, I, and I just had to say, Kathy, forgive me. I'm so sorry for being so self-centered and selfish. You just need to confess and to forgive on a regular basis. Now, that's the letting go part. According to this passage of Scripture, there's a holding on part. There's a holding on part that we have to do in this particular passage of Scripture. I want you to notice verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Be united to his wife. Another translation says to cleave to one another. Now, the word picture that we get here is like taking a red piece of, of construction paper and using super glue and then putting it and smashing it together with a blue construction paper. And it becomes so united and so one, a smashing together, that when you try to take the, the red paper off the blue and when you try to take the blue off the red, there's a tearing. It's almost impossible to do that. Now listen, that's why, and some of you have gone through it, and it's the most terrible thing in the world, and I, I know it is because you've told me it is. That's why divorce is so terrible. Because it's a tearing asunder of what was put together. And it's terrible. And it's awful. And that's why when those people go to those single bars, and they've been divorced, and they, get, and they, and they, they show their, their best side, they show their front side, and the other person shows their front side, but you don't see all the scars and tearing on the backside of the divorce that they've gone through. And so here's the idea. The idea is, is that when you get married, you make a commitment. Through the thick and thin, the good times, come hell or high water, that you won't get a divorce. You will not get a divorce. You make that commitment. Because if there is an escape hatch, in the back of your mind, if there's an escape clause there, you will take it every single time because it gets hard. It gets difficult. It gets very, very difficult. To cleave is an act of commitment. It means I say I do. What is God saying? God is saying good marriages are the result of a choice, not chance they don't just happen it's a commitment now some of you feel like you're trapped you don't have to raise your hand but i know what i'm talking about some of you feel like you're trapped you've got more than you bargained for false advertising what i thought i was getting to was not what i got and you think you're stuck what do you do 
we had some hard times, really hard, and I've talked about those before. And I know what I'm talking about when I know that you can love somebody to death, but still be miserable in a relationship. Now, some of you are already divorced. You're already divorced. I'm not talking about your past right now. I'm not talking about your past. Your past is over. I'm talking about the relationship that you're in right now or the relationship that you will enter into if you get married again. What's in the past is in the past. I'm talking about right now. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. If you, if you ever marry again, or if I'm married right now, I will not divorce. That D word should be out of your vocabulary. You should leave it over there someplace. And never mention that word. As Billy Graham's wife used to say, I would never divorce him. I thought about murdering him, but I'll never divorce him. I will not. It's a commitment. And we made this commitment. I had a couple that that I got acquainted with and they became part of our church and really neat people and here's their story. His wife had died from a tragic disease and he had a little boy. Her husband died tragically and her kids were grown. She was very young when she got married. And so um, she was a preschool teacher and she had this little boy in her class and he, she saw the father pick up the little boy every day and her heartstrings went out to the little boy and somehow somebody made the introductions and they were both uh, new Christian people and they Christian recommend their life to the Lord and, and so to make a long story short they started dating and it was a whirlwind romance and they were so thrilled I mean uh, they were just so happy. But then the baggage from her past, the baggage from his past, uh, the different competing loyalties with grown children, you know all that, uh, the interrelated marriage and all that, all that works out, started competing. And they were ready to divorce. They were ready to throw in the towel. They'd been married a few years. And they came to me. They came to me. And I set them down there and, I talked about the stuff that we're talking about this morning. And I looked at him and I said, listen, everybody goes through H-E-double-L. I don't know a single couple that has never went through hell. Everybody goes through hard times. But the reason why you make that commitment and the reason why you never mention that D word is, is that it gives you an opportunity to work through the hell so you can get into better times. And I want to challenge you, I said to them, it, it is worth it. It's worth it. And they looked like at me like I was crazy. But I said, if you make that kind of commitment, God will help you and you can get through this hell time and they did and they went through that time and they had some real struggles and they continued to struggle uh, but they're doing wonderful now and that was over a dozen years ago
Experts tell us also that about 75% of all marriages need counseling at least sometime in their married life. But usually people don't get it. And the reason why is, especially men, I say it this way, fellas, the reason why you don't like to go to a marriage counselor is because you're chicken. Quack, 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 quack. You're chicken. Or you're prideful. I know I was. I'm a pastor. I know there everything there is about counseling. I've taken counseling classes. I've got a master's degree in religion. Why is my wife so unhappy? I don't know why she's unhappy. I'm a great husband. I'm fantastic. I'm doing everything I can to meet her needs. I was so full of myself. So full of myself. I went to that Christian marriage counselor dragging my feet. And later on, he told my wife, he said, he sure is full of himself, isn't he? And I was. That was the very best thing that I could have ever done in my entire life. My marriage means more to me than it ever has. And ever. The reason why is, is because I got the perspective. I got some tools. I got the ability that I got some, uh, some things that I could communicate and accept my wife's feelings. And, and it's been, it's been, it was revolutionary. Now, I cannot recommend most counselors. I can only recommend Christian ones. A non-Christian counselor does not have the resources and, is, and, and, and available to change a marriage that a Christian counselor does. Now, so there are some things that we have to let go and there are some things that we need to hold on to. You need to leave and you need to cleave. And leaving and cleaving is the process. Notice the results. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh and the man and the wife were both enclosed and they felt no shame. This is a two-part series. We're hoping to build more and we're hoping to get more, more specifics about intimacy and about communication, etc., etc., in the next couple of weeks. But we need to understand that this is foundational. We need to hold on to some things and we need to let go of some things. Here is a recent statistic that I've shared with you a while back at Harvard University did this major study. The divorce rate is now one in two marriages. But, listen to this, but when a couple prays together, when they read the Bible together, and when they attend church together on a regular basis, the divorce rate drops to 1 in 1,104. And that's the difference that the Lord can make in your life. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together.